I'm one of the leaders of the Stephen ministry, and in the past I've served as an elder here as well. Uh, Sean asked me to preach on kindness. I have to say that when he did that, I was kind of shocked at first. Uh, I haven't been asked to preach in a long time, I think because I went about 30 minutes over. No, no. <laughs> try not to do that today. Um, but the first verse that, first thing that came to my mind was Ephesians 4.32. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. I think a, less, a big lesson from this verse is that we as Christians, among other things, should be characterized as being kind. When I was younger, people would use the expression, that is not very Christian of you. To say that you were doing something unkind or uncaring. Unfortunately, with the political dialogue of the last 8 to 12 years, some people have come to associate uh, Christian political candidates with rudeness and belligerence. So going back to this verse, Christians should be known for their kindness. As I thought about the concept of kindness, I thought I remembered a verse that compared God's kindness to his severity. I eventually found it, using my Bible study app on my phone, uh, in Romans 11.22, and it says, Behold, then, the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, severity. But to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. So this verse and many others compare God's kindness to his severity. How do we balance that? How are we supposed to be kind? That's what I would like to talk about this morning. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise in your Bible that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And Lord, you have given us your Holy Spirit to guide us into your truth. So we ask that your spirit would be present, guiding me as I speak and working in the hearts of those who are listening to be able to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. So if we ask ourselves the question, is God kind? The answer would not only be yes, but also it's complicated. When God created the universe, he created it with a set of laws, some natural and some moral. For example, if you jump off a cliff, the law of gravity means that you will plummet to the bottom of the cliff and most likely be killed. It's hard for us to imagine the universe without any laws, like some sort of cosmic Calvin ball. You know that game between Calvin and Hobbes where anything goes? Uh, planets could change their courses, jumping from one solar system to another. Gravity wouldn't hold us to the surface of the earth. It's mind-boggling to think about. But God did create natural laws, and we can depend on staying firmly attached to the surface of the earth. Just as God created the universe with physical laws, God also created moral laws. And Romans chapter 1 says that he put these laws in our hearts. Just as there are consequences of disobeying the natural laws, so there are also consequences of disobeying the moral laws. 
That is what this verse in Romans is talk, talking about. God has shown his kindness to some of us by opening our hearts to hear the gospel. But God's severity remains uh, for the uh, allows some of those to suffer the consequences of their actions. This morning, I would like to focus on four things. What is the meaning of kindness? What are some biblical examples of kindness? Why should we be kind? And what are some practical ways that we can be kind? Uh, meaning of kindness, first of all, we all have some idea what it means to be kind, and you might be able to come up with an example of your own. Someone is kind to you when they do something nice to you that you weren't expecting, something nice or something good. Maybe someone sends you flowers when you've had a hard week, or a neighbor comes over to help you when he sees you struggling with something in your yard, or a co-worker asks if he can help with some things that you are working on. I'm sure you have examples of your own. But depending on uh, what Bible you use, now I have the New American here, you might uh, look up the word kindness and find out, gee, it actually doesn't occur too often in my Bible. In the New American, there's a Hebrew word, chesed, that is translated as kindness when it's between people and loving kindness when it's between God and people. And in the ESV version, that is sometimes translated as kindness, but otherwise translated as steadfast love. So it kind of depends on what you have for a Bible. That word occurs hesed 240 times in the Old Testament. Uh, in the New Testament, we have a different set of words. But one key thing about it is that it involves some act of doing, doing goodness, doing niceness, something. It's undeserved. You're doing it for another person. And I thought of the song by DC Talk. Maybe you, maybe you remember that. Love is a verb. Well, kindness is not a verb, uh, but it does involve doing something that you are doing for another person that they don't necessarily deserve. So that reminds me of this verse from James. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? How is that being kind? Just using your words and not following it up? And in 1 John 3.18, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. This is not to say that we cannot use our words to be kind. We can. These verses are saying that when someone has a physical need, it is not enough to say something nice. We should actually try to help them. There are times, though, that, when, that what someone needs is an encouraging word, and we shouldn't miss those opportunities. Now that I've given you a definition for kindness, I want to give you some examples of kindness from the Bible. And the first one I'm going to start with is Lot in Genesis. It's actually the first use of the word hesed in the Bible, Genesis chapter 19. A quick summary of Lot's story is that he was Abraham's nephew. They left Ur together, and then uh, in Genesis 13, they realized that, hey, our flocks have gotten too big, we need to separate. And Abraham generously says to Lot, you pick which way to go. Lot looks around, sees the valley of the Jordan, it's green and lush, and he says, I'll go that way, and sends Abraham off in the other direction. And it said, the Bible says that Lot moved his tents as far as Sodom. 
while he did not adopt all the ways of Sodom, he was living on the edge of the town and his family got involved in the commerce of the city. Then in Genesis 18, God shows up uh, and talks to Abraham, telling him that he is planning to destroy Sodom. Abraham barters with God and tries to work off of God's sense of judgment. He says to God, if there are 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, is it fair for you to wipe them out along with the wicked? And God says that he would not destroy the city if there were 50 righteous people. Abraham repeats the question again and again with different numbers. First 45, then 40, then 30, then 20, then 10. And God says that he would not destroy the city because of 10 righteous. Perhaps Abraham was hoping that Lot's righteous lifestyle would have influenced enough people for there to be 10 righteous people in Sodom, but there weren't because God does destroy the city. Perhaps because of Abraham's prayer, Lot does not experience the severity of God's judgment, uh, but instead is shown God's kindness. Angels appear at Lot's house to warn him of the coming judgment, and in the end, after Lot delays in leaving, you should look it up yourselves, um, the angels have to drag Lot and his wife and his daughters by the hands, drag them out of the town to prevent them from being caught up in the destruction. Afterwards, as Lot is negotiating his departure, Lot says, there we go, uh, Lot said to them, oh no, my Lord, they tell, uh, the angels say, you need to flee to the mountains. And Lot says, Oh no, my lords, now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have magnified your loving kindness, that's that word, chesed, um, which you have shown me by saving my life, but I cannot escape to the mountains, for the disaster will overtake me and I will die. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to, and it is small. Please let me escape there. Is it not small? That my life may be saved. Genesis 19.18. Uh, God showed loving kindness to Lot. He spared his life, even though Lot did not deserve it. Another example of kindness is Rahab's kindness to the spies in Joshua 2. So the people of Israel uh, have just arrived in the promised land after 40 years of wandering. They're getting ready to move into the land. Their first target is the city of Jericho. And Joshua sends two spies into Jericho. Uh, and the prostitute, Rahab, sees the spies wandering around and offers to hide them in her house, on her roof, under some flax, I think it is. And the, the guards of the city come looking for them, and she sends them on her way, saying, oh, no, they, they got out of here. They, went, they left the town. So after the guards leave, uh, she goes up and negotiates with them, saying, I have been kind to you, now I want you to return that kindness by sparing my family and I. A little bit unusual use of the word kindness because here it's kind of traded. Usually it's something that's given without an expectation of return. Another example is David's kindness to Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel 9. That is Jonathan's son and David had promised to be kind to Jonathan and his descendants uh, so he brings him into his household and takes care of him, even though Mephibosheth 
really had nothing to offer him. Another example of kindness is uh, Jonah, uh, the, the prophet who got swallowed by a fish. Uh, so we all know the story of how God called Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach judgment to the uh, Assyrians there. Jonah knew that God is a God of kindness and compassion, so he objected to going and instead got into a ship leading in the opposite direction to Tarshish. God then sent a huge storm on the sea that eventually led to the sailors picking Jonah up, throwing him over the side of the ship, and then a big fish swallowed him up, and he was carried back to shore where God again sent him to Nineveh so that he could preach to the Assyrians. And Jonah said to them, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The people of Nineveh responded to Jonah's message, repented, and God decided not to destroy them. Chapter 4 of Jonah has an interesting interchange between Jonah and God. Uh, Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in orders to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better than my life. And the Lord said, do you have a good reason to be angry? This example from Jonah not only shows us the kindness of God, but also displays the severity of God. Uh, Jonah's mission is to go and preach God's judgment on Nineveh, showing God's severity. But Jonah shows that God is a God, or knows that God is a God of mercy and compassion Uh, showing God's kindness. God shows his kindness and severity to Jonah, too. Severity in that he doesn't let the wayward prophet off the hook, but puts him through the ordeal of being thrown in the sea and swallowed by a huge fish, so that God can send him again a second time to Nineveh. God shows his kindness in working with Jonah, so that uh, Jonah would come to see God's perspective on the people of Nineveh. Um, let's see, to get him past his anti-Assyrian bias and see that God's compassion is for all the people of the world. That's a lesson for us as well, that no one is beyond being saved. So what is our motivation for kindness? Okay, when I answered the question, is God kind? I said, yes, God is kind, but also that it is complicated. The Bible seems to really make a point of this. When God gives us the Ten Commandments, when God gives it to the Israelites in Exodus 20, he says, You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. And later on in Exodus 34, he essentially says the same thing. Then the Lord passed by in front and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. 
Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. And it is this tension between God's kindness and his judgment that is supposed to motivate us towards obedience to God and kindness towards others. This notion of tying God's kindness to his judgment is repeated in the New Testament. In Romans 2.4 it says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? And later on in Romans 11.22 it says, Behold then the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, severity, and to you God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, but otherwise you also will be cut off. When we think about it, our future hope really depends both on his kindness and on his severity. Would we want a heaven where all of the wrongs have not been fixed? No. Sorry, but if we're honest with ourselves, are we the ones who do some of those wrongs? So we depend on both his kindness and his severity. Mm, sorry. Some of us like to think that as Christians we should act like Jonah, proclaiming destruction to all of the sinners around us. But it says in 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And then in Micah 6.8, too bad we didn't sing it this morning. Anyway, uh, Micah 6.8, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So that brings me back to Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God and Christ also has forgiven you. Okay, as Christians, we are to be kind to one another, which leads me to my next point. How can we show kindness to one another? As I think about ways in which we can show kindness, one of the things that comes to mind is a couple of lines from the prayer of St. Francis. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. The middle part, seeking not to be understood but to understand, is another way of saying that listening to others is our priority. In Stephen ministry training class, we dedicate a whole class session to listening, and we come back to it again and again over the 20-week training period. Good listening takes work. For most of us, there are times when we feel like we don't have the energy or the patience to listen to someone. Some of us don't even know how to listen. All we want to do is to tell our own story. In Stephen ministry, we have an acronym for good listening practices. That acronym is SOLAR. Uh, S is for slightly forward, so you can picture sitting in a chair 
leaning forward. Maybe you're at a table in a restaurant, leaning slightly forward as if you're really listening to what the other person has to say. O is for open, meaning body posture open, not like this, and especially not like this, right? You are open to hearing what they have to say, uh, wanting to be more involved in the conversation. Let's see, L is for look. Look the other person in the eye. doesn't mean stare at their eyes. It means you just keep looking back, wanting to know how they're feeling, how they're going, doing with the conversation. A is for attention. Give them your attention. Hey, maybe you even take that cell phone and put it on silent or turn it off. Uh, and then R stands for reflect. Reflect back what the other person is saying. I want to give you a quick example of what it might look like on a Sunday morning. Let's say you walk up to someone and you say, hey, how are you doing? How was your week? And they say to you, um, okay, actually it was a pretty rough week. You might say things like, yeah, I had a pretty rough week too. Or, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, I hope next week is better. <laughs> the first response essentially says, I don't want to listen to what you have to say. I want to tell you about my week instead. The second response says, I don't really have time to listen to you, so I want to end this. A good listening way to respond is, oh, you had a bad week? Could you tell me a little more about that? Listening is a gift that we can all give to others. Another way of being kind is healing words. While being kind is not a matter of words only, it is possible for you to use your words to be kind. One easy way to do that is to reply to prayer concerns on the list server. You can click on the reply button, try not to hit reply all, and just let them know that you are thinking of them and that you will be praying for them. If someone shares a prayer request, it can be very lonely when no one responds. Of course, if you do respond, make sure that you follow through and use your words to pray for them. The next point uh, is being empathetic. And then going back to Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. So tender-hearted, that really means empathetic. The psychologist Carl Rogers defined empathy as sensing the other person's private world as if it was your own, but without ever losing the as-if quality. In other words, Learning to feel what the other person is feeling without letting it overwhelm you. Stephen Ministry just published a book called The Gift of Empathy in which they describe five empathy busters, five things that people say that block empathy. So here we go. First one, I know how you feel. The truth is you don't. While you may have had gone, may, may, well, sorry. While you may have gone through a similar event, you don't have the same background that they do leading up to that event. So, for example, two men have both lost their fa their fathers. Yeah, for one of them, the father was loving and supportive, the great cheerleader of his life. For another, his father never gave him a word of approval. He never measured up to his father's expectations. Would these men feel the same way about losing their father? Of course not. The next one, you have a lot to be thankful for. While it might seem helpful, encouraging someone to focus on what they have to be thankful for communicates 
You shouldn't be feeling the way you feel. Look on the bright side instead. This empathy buster invalidates the other person's feelings and can come across as judgmental. Another one, it could be worse. As one person said, yes, it could always be worse, but that doesn't make me feel any better right now. This cliche pushes people to change their mindset, which doesn't help when they're already dealing with a challenging situation. And then uh, this one, which sounds nice and spiritual, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. When people are already struggling, being told that God gave them this difficult load and expects them to be able to bear it can cause a host of negative reactions. This phrase dismisses their emotions and they'll likely feel worse. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, God says that he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able. But the verse also goes on to say that with the temptation or trial, God will provide the way of escape so that we can endure it. This verse does not say, God has made you strong enough to handle everything on your own. It says that God will provide the way out. That way may well come through the listening, compassionate ear of another believer. And then finally, the fifth buster, uh, you should or shouldn't. Empathy is about the other person, their feelings, their wants, their needs. Telling someone what they should or shouldn't do minimizes their feelings and treats them like a project instead of a person. All right, going back to our theme verse, Ephesians 4.32, it mentions three things. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God and Christ also has forgiven you. Well, we could spend a whole sermon on forgiveness, and people have written whole books about it, uh, so I'm only going to say a few things. Uh, first of all, uh, forgiveness is not glossing over a wrong. It's not saying, oh, it's okay, it doesn't matter. Uh, forgiveness is seeking to right the wrong and to heal the relationship. In his book on forgiveness, Tim Keller gives an example of a woman who was seeking to restore her relationship with her abusive father, verbally abusive father. She balanced justice with kindness by telling him that she would call him every week and talk to him, but if he started being abusive to her or to her mother, she would just hang up. She showed forgiveness by continuing to reach out to him and mixed it with justice, requiring him to change his behavior. Now I want to give you some Bible verses that talk about forgiveness. First one, seek forgiveness, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. So you got to picture that. Somebody has gone through the trouble, entering the temple, waiting in line to get to the priest, has their offering all set to go, and God puts in their mind, hey, you didn't resolve this thing. Jesus says, leave it. It is more important for you to address that issue with your brother than to present that offering. The next verse, Matthew six fourteen through 25, talks about forgiving others. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will forgive your transgressions. So this verse comes right after the Lord's Prayer. Uh, forgive us our debts or transgressions as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
So this uh, concept is repeated multiple times in the New Testament. We cannot claim to really understand God's forgiveness if we're not showing that forgiveness to others. The next verse talks about restoration. When a brother or sister in Christ sins, we are supposed to go to them quietly and seek to correct their wrong behavior. This verse assumes that corrected behavior will lead to restoration of forgiveness. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Finally, I want to repeat Micah 6, 8 again. Uh, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So that's our tension, to love kindness, to love justice, to do those things together, not letting the uh, injustice of the world continue, but working with kindness to correct those things and showing kindness to one another. And finally, our theme verse Instead of closing in prayer, I'm just going to challenge you to meditate on this today. Be kind to one another, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you.